And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a hand break off. Hello, I'm Ian Stone. This is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Are you having a good day? I'm having a good day. (laughs) Uh, Unless you've been in a cave today, and a big hello to all our cave-dwelling listeners. Arsenal beat Chelsea one at the bridge. An emphatic victory, and we're going to talk about that. That all right? We're joined by Amy Lawrence and Adrian Clark. You having a good day, guys? Very happy. (laughs) Hello, Stoney. It's been pleasant, yeah. I've had worse Sundays, yeah. Nice day, isn't it? Uh, It is a lovely day. I I mean, really, just lovely. Uh, I think we can agree that that was a win for the ages, a statement victory. So I'd like to ask, as an opening question, who do you dedicate that win to? Amy, who are you dedicating that win to? Well, there's an obvious person, but the trouble is it's a bit of a missing person. Uh, has to be located last seen somewhere in the nether regions of William Saliba's back pocket. Um, <laughs> but failing that, I'd actually, I'd actually like to dedicate this in a slightly bigger picture way with feeling to Roman Abramovich. Because in the pre-Abramovich days, some of you will remember, Arsenal routinely went actually very many years without ever losing to Chelsea with some very uh, well-loved iconic victories at their place along the way and then it just tilted so dramatically on its head and for some strange reason yeah and there was such a tricky period where you'd go into games against Chelsea as an Arsenal fan kind of really feeling almost hopeless which was such a horrible position to be in so thanks to him that was the case and you know I'd like to stick some proverbial fingers up in that direction and say no 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 because Things have changed and it feels good. And and the point that was made about winning three consecutive games at their place, I think Arsenal have won, what is it, four out of the last five or five out of the last six games in all competitions against Chelsea. It feels a bit like natural order of things is being returned in that particular fixture. I said this on the the Breakdown Live post-match, Amy. I said, we have to hold our hands up. Chelsea have been the top dogs in North London for a long time, last two decades. Champions Leagues, league titles. But yeah, you just sense that maybe today was just just about that that shift of power, just heading heading north. Without going over the top, I, they really were garbage, weren't they? And I actually, yeah. it was enjoyable, but I kept thinking, are they really this bad? And uh, I think Arsenal, in lots of ways, didn't play anywhere near their best. And yet, were able to to sort of feel quite comfortable in in the main. I think that probably the tension anxiety you feel is just that possibility of something going wrong. But the way the game was panning out, it just didn't look like you couldn't really see what was making them tick at all. And they they were tick they were tickless. So um, they were completely yeah. completely. Well, listen, we'll get to more of that. But I have that Roman Abramovich and uh, and uh, for those pedants among you, uh, yes, Adrian did say North London and Chelsea are not. But anyway, uh, they were the top dogs in London, and they're not anymore. 
Adrian, who are you dedicating the win to? Yeah, I'm not going to be quite as mean, but I, I like <laughs> I like where Amy is coming from. I'd first of all like to dedicate this win to San Etienne, Nice, and Marseille for taking such good care of William Saliba um, in the last couple of years. Yeah, they've put him in a position where he can pocket Aubameyang with you know consummate ease and go on mazy dribbles up the pitch and, and make it look like it's a it's a nice easy stroll on a Sunday afternoon. So yeah, definitely want to thank them. I'll also dedicate it to Gabriel Jesus, uh, a superstar centre forward that doesn't want to just sit on his big money. He wants to actually go out there and earn it and work hard and show for the ball and battle opposition central defenders. And he's a centre forward that even if he's not scoring, he's making massive, and I mean massive, contributions to the team. It's good to have one. Yeah. Oh, I, I mean, for me, originally I was going to dedicate it to all those people who thought we may not even get top four. You know, <laughs> Gary Neville and Richard Keyes. Anyone else who takes that disgusting Qatar money, by the way. Anyway, all these ridiculous pundits who've had to eat their words, who doubted that something special was happening at the Arsenal. Uh, also, of course, to Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. <laughs> it's nothing personal, mate. That's all I'm saying. But uh, I actually thought, as this is a day of celebration, I want to dedicate it to all the Gooners who travelled to Newcastle away last season, at the end of last season, right? It was such a grim night. looking for, And they were looking for that sort of performance. I hope a lot of them were there today, but I hope you feel suitably rewarded. Yes, Amy? Just before you, um, uh, we, we change subject, Richard Keyes, you mentioned there. Has anyone noticed his, uh, his quite pathological obsession with Mikel Arteta's relationship with his technical area? <laughs> It does make me laugh. Having of all said the that, things though, I mean... to get a stress on in football, you know, there are lots <laughs> of very debatable subject matters that are worthy of, you know, legitimate complaint. But um, the idea that Mikel Arteta hopping about just outside is, and let's be honest, it's it's the size of a shoebox over there. <laughs> Tiny! If he was ever going to come out of a technical area, it's the one at Stamford Bridge. Ridiculous. The sense that it's giving dear Richard sort of a coronary over in the mid, you know, Middle East where he earns his money is uh, is, is quite, quite amusing. So maybe we can dedicate a portion of the victory to him as well. I think so. <laughs> Have you ever seen a manager give less of a shit about being in his technical area than Mikel? Arteta. He just doesn't care. Does it? Doesn't matter how many times you tell him. It's a guide rather than a rule. You know, as long as he's in the vicinity, essentially <laughs> on the same side of the pitch in the stadium, that's as close as he likes to get. Arsenal lead the derby at Stamford Bridge, and they might be heading back to the top of the Premier League table. Chelsea nil, Arsenal one. I mean, we agree the scoreline definitely does not reflect our almost total dominance of the game. Uh, Chelsea had one shot on target uh, and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang was substituted after an hour. <laughs> Before we get into it, let's hear what James McNicholas, who was at the bridge, had to say. Well, I'm just walking away from the ground, Stamford Bridge, Arsenal have won 1-0 and that was, in what will become the immortal words of Granit Xhaka, fucking unbelievable. Um, hopefully the producers can stick a bleep over that if necessary. Maybe they won't deem it necessary because uh, everyone is in celebratory mood today and the usual rules are out the window. Fantastic performance from Arsenal. 1-0, I think, flattered Chelsea. I think Arsenal were dominant and had they been a bit more clinical in the final third, could have been even more comfortable. But this was about as comfortable a 1-0 win as you can get away from home. I mean, those last 10 minutes, they weren't nervy at all. And that's not just because Rob Holden came on to shore things up. Um... Chelsea not at their best, an important caveat, missing a lot of players. 
I think still looking for an identity under Graham Potter. Whereas Arsenal, the complete opposite of that really, a team who know exactly what they're doing. This was the first 11, the best 11. The same 11 Mikel Arteta picked in a pre-season friendly against Chelsea, which Arsenal won handily 4-0. They've had consistency. They know their roles. And you saw that out on the pitch. Um, I thought that all the pre-match narrative inevitably was about Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. As a little preview for you, my piece is going to be about the two centre-halves for Arsenal, predominantly, Gabriel and William Saliba, who dominated Aubameyang. And, you know, I think Aubameyang was lucky, really, that Arsenal had scored at the moment that he was subbed off because it meant that he didn't get quite as many jeers as he would have done. The Arsenal fans were still celebrating, but his best performance of the week came in that BT Sport promo. Let's put it like that. Fantastic win for Arsenal. And uh, I, I mean, you're tempted to say a shot in the arm for their title credentials. I, I still think that's, you know, difficult to talk about. Manchester City just so relentless, even with 10 men, they can somehow scrape a win. Bringing Erling Haaland off the bench feels like a cheat code. But yeah, thought thought was a fantastic result for Arsenal today. And what a potential prize to go to Wolves, knowing that a win will keep them top of the Premier League heading into the World Cup. Fantastic stuff. Enjoy the podcast, guys. Yes, that was James McNicholas uh, after the 1-0 win at Stamford Bridge. Uh, I should say that we don't intend to swear throughout this podcast, but Amy... A comfortable 1-0 victory away from home at a rival for the top four. Played 13, 1-11, drawn one, lost one. Arsenal's best start to a league season in their history. It was and is, as Granite Xhaka said. Fucking unbelievable. That's beautiful. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, lo- I love people swearing on telly in the heat at the moment. I think it's a much <laughs> underrated quality and adds richness to all of our lives. It was just great because you know in those moments that the players are feeling exactly like anybody and everybody who loves a club. And yeah, I mean, there was a slight... There's something about the word unbelievable as well that I particularly like in football. And I remember when Paul Merson described the Arsene Wenger effect as unbelievable belief. And that was such a brilliant phrase. And it feels a bit like there's there's an element of unbelievable belief going on again at the moment. And that's enabling the team to deal with different sorts of challenges. You know, it has been absolutely relentless. The game in the week against Zurich wasn't great, wasn't particularly enjoyable, but the result was the right one. They're just taking on different types of opponent, different types of conditions, you know, whether it's travelling, whether it's going from a Thursday night to a noon on Sunday... Uh, whether certain players are injured or certain players are fit or who's rested or who isn't or whatever's going on, as a group, you can see that they're experiencing this whole adventure together. And actually, I think that's one of the nice things about the teams that he's picked for the Europa League group stages, which have sort of included almost everybody. You know, there have been the odd person who's left out the squad or stays at home or doesn't travel. But in the main, resting means you're on the bench and you might come on for 20 minutes rather than you're absolutely got the day off and you're sat at home with your feet up while different players entirely are involved in the match. And there is, it's it's part of engineering that feeling of unity. Mikel Arteta's favourite thing. It definitely is. And he talked a lot about unity when you spoke to him, whatever it was, 18 months ago, Amy. Adrian, I said it before, they had, Chelsea had one shot on target 
our defending as a team is outstanding at the moment. The press from front to back is so, so good. The way they channeled Chelsea, there was a period during that game, I think it was from about minute 75 to minute 80, when Chelsea could not get out. I mean, not only were we not sitting back, we were, as Amy said, relentless in our chasing down the ball and harrying them. And it's considering they didn't finish the game against Zurich until approximately 63 hours before they kicked off this one. That amount of energy going right through the game, I mean, something special. It's what you want to see, isn't it? When you're a supporter, you want to see the team giving it everything, making life hell for the opposition. And Arsenal absolutely did that in this game. The structure of the pressing is excellent. And it's it's the sort of fruition, isn't it, of, a, of two or three years' work from Mikel Arteta. I think this game highlighted where Arsenal are compared to Chelsea, where Arteta is compared to Potter. It was a 150th game for Mikel Arteta in charge, wasn't it, today? And and obviously it's very early days for Potter. And what we see, what saw with Arsenal is a, is a very unified team that knew exactly what their manager wanted from them in every scenario, whether that was with the ball or without the ball. And what you saw from Chelsea was the complete opposite. Potter's got his work cut out and he'll, he'll get there probably because he's a smart coach, but he's, it's going to take time. And... Yeah, I was I was super impressed with the way that we, we worked without the ball in the game. Chelsea had four shots, okay, one on target. I think their XG was just minuscule, 0.2 or something like that, which is embarrassing really for any team. You'd be embarrassed at that away from home, let alone on home turf in front of your own fans. So yeah, no, it was it was glorious to see. And about on the subject of Aubameyang, and I know we'll, we'll probably get to him, he had those eight touches in the game, just eight touches. Breuer, who came on for it, played half the time, had double uh, with 15. So we really did um, make him an, an anonymous figure in the match. And Jesus, by the way, had 62 all over the pitch. Well, that, that, was my, that was my little dig in the dedication, yeah. <laughs> yes. Amy? I was watching the game at one point, and even if it wasn't the sort of slickest attacking, cohesive performance, you know, and in in many ways, I think if Arsenal had been even a couple of percentage points more uh, on it, that could have been a big scoreline today. However, the real uh, strength, I think, was in that foundation that I think Chelsea sort of sensed they weren't scoring against. And it suddenly made me think of something that Lee Dixon talked about of this parish uh, a little while ago when he was talking about the triangle at the core of the team that everything's built on the foundation, the two centre-backs and the holding midfield player in front. And it was not that long ago that you're looking at that triangle and it says David Luiz, Shodran Mustafi and Granit Xhaka. And you look at it now with Gabriel, Saliba and Thomas Partey and that is a sea change right there for all to see. You know, everybody knows what's happened to Granit and that is, you know, the way he's being perceived today is because he's not having the responsibility of that position before. And obviously the improvement in quality at centre-back is enormous. And huge shout-out to Gabriel Magalhaes for the way he, he made sure on the goal. You've got to be super determined to do that. Everybody's flying around in the box. This wicked ball comes across. And I haven't analysed it or seen it that many times since to know for sure, but was it going in without the touch? Because I didn't think it necessarily looked like it, it was. was. It was going in, I think. Was I it? think it was going okay. in. Yeah. Might have hit the post and gone in. It's difficult to say, but he made sure. And he was right to exactly. make Exactly. Sure. He ran off somebody that he, didn't go with he him. He was absolutely like so determined in that moment. 
you could see how much it meant to him and especially at the end you can just see that core of those three with Ramsdale behind almost making if you like a diamond a completely new set of players from what there was a couple of years ago is just been transformative I would agree yeah I think that's that's a huge upgrade isn't it with those three players they were all magnificent today I think you can probably count the little triangle in midfield as well as being absolutely integral to this win. <sighs> Sorry, Adrian, so to jump in, but isn't it about relationships all over the pitch? It's about White and Saka and the oh. way they work together. It's about Xhaka and Zinchenko when he came in today. It's th- These relationships are happening all over the pitch. Of course. I've got, it's all about relationships in football. And Mikel Arteta has been very clever in the way he's cultivated those relationships. He's been pretty ruthless with his team selections. He knows his team. He knows what he wants. And those guys have had plenty of time to, to work up those relationships. And it's paying off big time. But I just feel that our midfield absolutely trounced Chelsea's midfield in this game. You did not see them. And the way that we passed through them with such confidence had a real swagger about it. And and that was what I was talking about in the previous pod. Let's go to Stamford Bridge and own it and control it and play like we're top of the league. And that's what we did. And that's, that's why we uh, we're beaming tonight. Hi, I'm Adam Crafton and I'm the host of the Athletics new documentary series, Away From Home. We've been following Ukrainian football team Shakhtar Donetsk through the Champions League group stage. They've had to play their home games in Poland following Russia's invasion of Ukraine. The first bomb, I never forget. In this series, we're going to take you inside Shakhtar. Travelling with them across Europe as they set out on their Champions League odyssey. It's not only about football now, it's about show that we are fighting. I'll be speaking to those in Ukraine itself, hearing stories about how the war has affected them. My wife's father, he died. They killed him here. Subscribe now to Away From Home to follow the whole story. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. We better beat uh, with the handbrake at time. Let's talk about uh, Thomas Partey. I mean, I was, I've, I've been saying to various people that that was a Vieira-like performance. That really was that level of midfield dominance. I mean, he was in control of that area of the park. He didn't seem to move uh, away from the centre, you know, the centre 20 yards of the pitch. He's so integral, Amy, is he not, to the way that we play. We talked a lot about all sorts of players who we can't afford to lose. We don't want to lose Jesus or Saliba or Xhaka. 
Partey might be the most important player of the lot. Well, he's got such a pivotal role and it's such an unusual one. I mean, not that many players can be a single pivot, I think. And, you know, in elite football, tops of tables in the biggest leagues in the world. Uh, And on a day like today, he just made it look easy, which is quite remarkable. And when you think back to, I can't remember exactly when it was, when he gave himself a four out of 10 for his performances... I'd really like to know what Marky gives himself at the moment because he's put in some absolutely sublime, flawless, controlling performances, in particularly big games today against Tottenham, specifically where he just, he looks so at home now in this team. And however, when he first came, he just didn't. You know, there's a bit of a mystery really about that first year, year and a half where it didn't click enough. And I I don't mind admitting, feeling a bit naive about how I interpret football, but at times I was scratching my head a bit and as if like, I don't really get it with Thomas Party. I'm not quite sure what it is he's supposed to be doing or what he's so good at. And I, it was quite hard to see. And I think if you watch one of those performances and put it side by side with what he's doing now, he's, his improvement makes him a sort of unrecognisable force. He's vital. Yeah. Adrian, 75 touches, 93% accuracy of his passes, 100% completion of his long balls, won five out of six of his ground duels, clearances, interceptions. I mean, first name on the team sheet. Yeah, he, he, well, he's in the team of the year, isn't he? Um, nailed on at the moment. One of several Arsenal players I'd imagine that would get in it if they were to pick one right now. Irreplaceable, absolutely irreplaceable. And and we'll we'll talk, we have talked, we will talk again about signing somebody to back him up. But whoever that person is, they're going to have to be a heck of a player for it not to be a noticeable downgrade because what he's producing is it's near on impossible for 99% of midfielders to replicate because of the physicality, because of his skill set, which is so so good on the ball, yet he has those those physical strengths too. Do you think, Adrian, that there's a possibility of... I mean, at some point, you've got to tackle the situation of of getting a, a, an alternative unless you want to be very concerned every time he's unavailable. Could Arsenal recruit someone who, you know, can do that job well, maybe not quite as well straight away, but can do that job, but also there'd be a situation where at times they might both play? Or is that too disruptive to the system? No, you've got, you've, got a, you've got a flexibility, haven't you, Amy, I think. You can't be married to the single pivot no matter what. I think it's working now with this group of players. But Might it even if, be helpful a bit further down the line uh, a bit of having another option who can do that sort of job? Of course, having matches. two. When you've, got the, when you've got the breadth of attacking talent that Arsenal have got, say we're in the Champions League next year and you, you don't think one single pivot is enough away to Real Madrid then you can go with the two, can't you? It's, it's little things like that. I mean, I'm, I'm dreaming now. I love, you know, but, I love you know, talking you know, about I'm talking about the final, obviously, of next season's Champions League. Of course. League. Not, not, got, you know, that not a group point, game. But, maybe. Um, but no, the, um, yeah, you've got to have options. You've got to have options. And uh, I think that signing someone in his mould, even if they're not as good as him now, needs to be done. Adrian, let me ask you about William Saliba uh, as well. I mean, also outstanding numbers in this game. 13 times he won possession, one block, didn't get dribbled past once. I mean, he hardly ever gets dribbled past. 
That was such a dominant performance. And, and you know, eight touches for Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang says it all, really. That it, I mean, he's getting better. He's not supposed to be this good already, is he, William Saliba? He's not played very many Premier League matches. What is, what is he up to? How many games have we had this season? 13? Do you know what? That, he's 13, yeah. Oh, that's it, isn't it? He's had 13 Premier League matches in his career. It's supposed to take people time to settle, isn't it? especially young players, but he's he's hit the ground running and found a level in his first 13 Premier League matches that I don't know how many other players in their first 13 Premier League matches at his age will have produced the level of consistency and quality as William Saliba. I, I think you'll be hard pushed to find it. At any age, Adrian, Thierry Henry took most of a season. Robert Perez took a season uh, uh, as well. Mm. That's how long it takes. And for defenders, well, whatever it is, you know, sorry, Amy, you were slightly... But whatever it is, it takes a mm. bit of time. William Saliba, in 13 games, has become a centre-off that you, it's almost impossible to put a value yeah. on him what, now. What would he be like in 130 games? 130 games. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I mean. He got man of the match today. There could have been a few who did. But he was apt. He looked as unruffled at the end. There was a picture of him and uh, Gabriel celebrating, Amy, and it didn't look like he'd actually uh, really sort of put on a sweat, <laughs> to be honest with you. I know he had. The but... other thing that's quite remarkable is that he's he's got this aura about him that has convinced everybody of how capable and composed he is, which means that if there's a situation where he's maybe one-on-one and there's a you know an attacker right on him... I don't feel particularly worried, which is which is faintly ridiculous when you're talking about a 21 year old after 13 games, as you rightly say. But he he's managed to transmit something to the rest of us that he's going to get around his man, keep control of the ball, and pass it to someone. It's remarkable. <laughs> yeah. It is remarkable. There was one occasion in the second half, and I can't remember which Chelsea forward it was. It might have been Breuer. That uh, uh, Saliba stepped up and he was offside, not by much, but he was offside. The Chelsea guy got the ball and Saliba then got back and took the ball off him, took it off him. And then the offside flag happened. And I thought, wow, he's so, so calm. Talking of our defending, by the way, Amy, we have five clean sheets uh, from seven away games. We've only conceded four times, three of those at Manchester United. I don't... <laughs> I don't want to even say this, but if this was any other team, you'd be going, well, these are going to challenge at the very least. These are going to challenge. This is this is the stuff of a grown-up team. Yeah, but I still maintain, I can see your face, dear listener. He's got that look <laughs> on his face, Tony, where he's getting giddy, you know. Um... I am giddy. I am giddy. I haven't been, I haven't loved the team like this for 35 years. And I'm talking about including the Invincibles, including all that. Well, I, I, I uh, bumped into um, a relative today and uh, who's a, a, an Arsenal season ticket holder and he just had that like really warm, happy look on his face. And he was just doing that thing where he's like, I can't stop looking at the table. And he had his phone out and he's just like, oh, like staring at it like it's... Um, I don't know, some sort of work of art that you're, you're completely drawn towards like with a magnetic gaze. And... I'm looking at it now. Ah, Amy. Yeah, still I'm looks at good. It now eight points clear of Tottenham. Eight points clear with a game in hand. Right. So actually, I think the thing that's the most significant is top four. Exactly. You know, to be talking about challenge, it's still very, very early. The way to do it is to be. I think this gap 
that is this stretching gap, not just, you know, being able to turn around. And let's not pretend that Man City might have expected Arsenal to drop points today. And let's not pretend, even though Man City are very likely to win the league by, you know, quite a comfortable distance, very comfortable, very confident for all the reasons you'd expect. They must be thinking a bit like, when are Arsenal going to sort of go away? They can't quite shake Arsenal off yet, which is probably surprising to them. But leaving that to one side, that goal of getting back in the Champions League and getting in the top four is and still remains the fundamental goal of the season. Now, the greater that stretches between Arsenal and those other teams who who desperately want that, because it's hugely competitive, that's the critical thing to this season. Keep getting those points. Keep, you know, the you know, gobbling up those points as much as possible. Get fat on those points. You know, carry them around like a, you know, like a camel. You want to really be as far in front as you can. Points in the bag. And what that means for the team is it actually gives you, as well as a confidence, a sort of capacity to relax, to believe. You know, you don't want every game to be super stress on a knife edge. And in a way, because I think deep down, most people, even though they desperately want to fantasise about winning a league title, because a Man City know that that's unlikely. So therefore, it takes away a little bit of that top of the league pressure, if you like. And the pressure that is there remains about trying to get away from all the rest. So that's where Arsenal have put themselves in such a splendid position. And you can't compliment the team, the manager, the staff enough for the way they tackled this opening salvo of the season. I think it's been just sensational. No, and and that, and, and uh, to reiterate what Amy says there about the, the table and top four, eight points clear of Spurs with a game in hand if they lose today, which they are doing at time of recording. 11 points clear of Man United, 13 of Chelsea, Right now, we're 15 points clear of Liverpool after 13 games, Adrian. Putting aside the fact that Liverpool have been really pants for a lot of the season. Mm. um, That's, you know, if Liverpool were 15 points clear of us, you go, oh, yeah, I see that. But the other way around, it's really incredible. We've got the respect back, I think. I think everybody now respects Arsenal and they can see with their own eyes that we are an excellent team that aren't going to crumble just like that. There'll be wobbles. The, the bounds will be. We can't continue at this rate, surely. Because if we do, we will win the league and we'll, we'll have over 100 points. That's just, that's, that seems unthinkable. But um, but yeah, the, we've got that respect back and there'll come a point where we're hopefully that little bit too far out of their sight, you know, for, for, for them to concentrate on us. And we can just worry about, worry about maybe chasing City which would be a lovely place to be wouldn't it but what Amy said about that about um, it gives you the opportunity to relax I think is important because they can go approach a lot of these games with much more freedom than they might otherwise have, have felt towards the back end of last season every game was a cup final that's draining over the course of a long season, you want a few games where you can feel a little bit less tense, uh, where you can just just sort of swat teams aside, um, even if you don't play well, and pick up the points. So, yeah, I think it's uh, we've put ourselves in the perfect position. It's great. We certainly have. And and we've got basically just under with 34 points from 13 games. We only got 69 all last season. So we're almost halfway to the points total after 13 games. I do want to talk briefly about Gabriel Jesus. Uh, Amy, on the pod on Thursday, we talked about... You know, eight games now, nine games without a goal. But 
I'm sort of getting to the point where I don't care. I'm happy for him to go another nine games without a goal if we keep winning the way we are. And I was struck by what Mikel Arteta said about him. He said it's the energy that he transmits to the team. And that is what I've been feeling all season, looking at him. And when, when I said at the start that he... He's such a, an important part of the team, equal to William Saliba in the sense of new signings, if you like. And that energy, he's lifted the performance of every single player in that team and in that squad. Yep, he's turned the heat up up front, you know. Uh, it's it's And everybody's feeling that warmth, which is great. I do still think, though, that you do want your centre-forward to be a match winner, you know, uh, more often than not. And I was looking at his face today and he was obviously, as she has been for a couple of games now, trying almost too hard. And there were maybe a couple of opportunities where you could see his own desperation to score was prominent because perhaps there was a, a really easy pass where he could have put someone in for a more or less a tap in. And it's understandable under the circumstances, but, you know, you've, you've got to make sure the team comes first in a situation like that. And he probably knows that when he looks back at the games because he's actually a very unselfish player. But I sometimes watch us play and I think, just hang about up front a bit more, mate. It's great that he has that that very infectious desire to track back and win the ball back, maybe at left back or right back or, you know, somewhere deep in his own half. But we shouldn't need him to do that. And I'd like Arsenal to somehow work on improving how they cover for that elsewhere in the team so he doesn't have to do that. Because while it's quite uplifting, uh, I saw somebody tweet today, I think it was Kaya from... Football London, who was at the game, saying how, you know, for all that great stuff that he does, it does look like Arsenal needs someone to be playing at centre-forward a bit more in terms of shape. So I don't know how that gets reconciled, but I think it's something they'll probably all work on. Adrian? Uh, Yeah, my thought during the game, especially the first half, we had a good chance, didn't we? It was a a brilliant opportunity that, that he spurned with his head. And then he made a chance for himself by winning the ball back and going on a lovely little mazy dribble like he does. And he couldn't, he, that shot was blocked. He was still involved in two, two big moments. But what I found was I found myself a little bit frustrated that he kept pulling to the left wing um, because I'm not saying that he's doing that purposely to take the heat off himself down the middle. But I think at the moment, maybe he feels on more value to the team to make something happen for somebody else in a way. It was like he was trying to lay on chances for other people by pulling left to open up space for them. And I want, I'm like Amy, I think he, I want to stay, see him stay down the middle a bit more often in games. Today was a good opportunity as well to run down the side of Thiago Silva, who's much quicker than, but we didn't really see that happen too often. So yeah, I think because he's on this drought, he feels compelled that he has to contribute in other areas, which means he then gets drawn away from the middle. That's the point that I'm making. And I think Mikel just needs to encourage him to say, look, don't worry. We want you to do your damage down the spine of the pitch. You don't have to do other people's work for them. We trust you to to still contribute. So that's the balancing act. And I I think they'll get there with that. No, No doubt about it. Whatever, it seems to be working, doesn't it? 34 points out of 39. Selfless is the word as well. That, that Amy used unselfish. I, I, I think he is a selfless centre-forward and that's what that's just one of his charms. Must be a dream to play with a player like that. Um, the mentality of the team, just want to talk about that. Arsenal won three consecutive Premier League games against fellow big six opposition, if you want to call it that, for the first time since February to April 2012. 
We'll talk about that mentality. This is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ian Stone, Amy Lawrence and Adrian Clark on a very, very good day for the Gooners. Uh, 1-0 to the Arsenal. <laughs> Almost like the old days, isn't it, guys? <laughs> Except it's a slightly different thing. But that mentality, I mean, we've talked about the fans a million times on this podcast, but I think there was a special moment for Mikel Arteta today. He was saying that the players and him and, and the, uh, were celebrating with the fans at full time. And Mikel Arteta said it was great. They've been absolutely phenomenal. They have transformed the club, the energy of the club. And then he said, I had my family there, had my son there in the middle of the crowd. So it was great. I mean, if anything speaks, Amy, of unity in a football club, it's the manager's son in the middle of the away end. Well, I bet he had a bit of a rite of passage. He's uh, still, still <laughs> I think his kids are still fairly young. That would have been a lively one for him. <laughs> Fantastic. You would have heard some words you weren't familiar <laughs> with, perhaps. <laughs> but even still, though, Amy, uh, Amy, it sort of it sort of talks. It feels like a family thing, doesn't it? Now, I mean, and I'm not just talking about his actual family. I'm talking about the players and the fans, the way that everyone celebrated at the end. This has uh, a very together, unified feel. We've said it before. We'll say it again. I think but... what you said about the th- three wins against top teams is an interesting one, and. After Granite's little uh, cameo on TV today, I don't know. Are we allowed to swear a lot on this podcast? Have we got rules? Does anyone Not know? Not a lot, but I think certain days there are moments when you're allowed. And we're only basically saying what Granite said, which was it was fucking unbelievable. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> To reiterate. Uh, and he did apologise, by the way, on BT Sports straight after. On okay, so maybe I should get the apology in first. If anybody's got a bit sensitive to swearing, you can maybe just switch off for a while. But... Um, <laughs> I once had a conversation a, a while ago with Arsenal about talking about something that I call a fuck off win. And there's quite <laughs> specific rules to what that is in my made up world, in my mind. It has to be away. 
It has to be against, you know, a really big team that you're up against something with them. And it's something that, you know, Arsenal did quite a lot in the old days and in successful teams. That was part of the deal. You knew you were onto something when you could go away from home to one of your big rivals and beat them. And it has been ages. And the thing about today at Chelsea is that because they were so poor, I'm almost not quite sure it qualifies. I'm talking about... We made them poor. We we did make them poor. But I'm talking about, in current circumstances, it would be going to Man City or going to Liverpool or, you know, frustratingly, there have been a lot of opportunities with Man United to do that. Or going to Tottenham, which is a place that Arsenal have not had joy for quite a long time. Go there, win. That, I think, is going to be the next step for this team. That's the next step. Yeah. Right. So, if this one falls short, I agree, Amy. This one falls short because Chelsea were awful. Mm. Yeah, you can you say we made. They the- bought on Adrian. Did you see they bought on Kovacic and they bought on Pulisic and they they bought on some serious players. You know, Breyers, no no mug, and we just held them at arm's length like an adult messing about with a kid at football. They're all out of form. None of them are in good form. So I think as excited as we are, as brilliant as the win was, it falls short of that A-star standard win that, that Amy is talking about. If we went to City, or Anfield actually, or Spurs, given our recent records there, mm-hmm. and produced that, yep. that is the, um, that is the F-off win. <laughs> but it was a step forward, wasn't it? Oh, I yeah. think we can agree. Absolutely. It was, it was monumental. It's not it at all, but I'm just, when you talk about you know, as if there's a turn of the tide somehow to win three consecutive games against, uh, you know, fellow members of the top six or, or however it's defined these days. But, you know, obviously two of them being at home and this one today being against a team so, so obviously like short of the highest, highest standards. That's all I'm saying. It's a fantastic stepping stone, but I think the next one is going to be where everyone really looks at each other and goes, OK, this is real. This is the real deal stuff. Do this against a team that hasn't lost at home in a year. Or something like that. And then that's different. I, we talked ahead of kickoff, actually, about Chelsea. Chelsea's home record is awful. That Ahead of today... Well, sorry, the last time they lost at home was against us last season. Yeah. They played, I think, 15 games since then. Since the start of last season at home, they'd only won half their matches. Half. We compared it ahead of kickoff to Arsenal's home record in the same period. And we had 14 more points than Chelsea. So... They have not been as good at home as maybe we think they have. So there's a little bit of context here. That's not taking anything away from the performance, which I thought was superb, absolutely accomplished. And a a fairer scoreline would have been three or four nil on the day. There's no way that they deserved even half a goal. They, They didn't come close. I've read one tweet and... I don't know where I get my news if I wasn't on Twitter on a regular basis, but I read one tweet that said that there is general feeling around the club that now is the time to strengthen. We've talked about this quite a lot, Amy. If we get two or three more, forget maybe we'll challenge with this sort of form and this sort of team and two or three. And I mean, two or three at the same standard as the first 11 or four or 13 or whatever you want to call it. We are challenging at that point, aren't we? Uh, I think so much depends on the physical and psychological state of the squad when we reconvene after the World Cup. But yeah, obviously that's going to help. Yeah, yeah, but I'm not interested in everyone. I'm interested in Arsenal. So I'm saying from Arsenal's (laughs) perspective of being able to challenge, you know, so much depends on who comes back fit and well and raring to go. And who's a bit jaded. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? But. 
They can't. But what? But you know, you're just talking about the the, the difference of the home and the and the away form and all that stuff. And I think everybody's felt very viscerally this transformation at home of the Emirates into this sort of fun fortress, if you like. But that is not to underestimate the regularity of frequency of winning away. I mean, I'm nitpicking here when I'm like talking about, you know, this is maybe not the kind of A-star away win. But overall, I mean, it's just not that long ago that Arsenal just, you would expect the, the possibility of losing every away game. It's not that long ago. The vulnerability yeah. was so... It was so prevalent. It was so there. It was so in everybody's heads and... It was in Losing four 0 to Southampton. Yeah, I mean on all Boxing this kind Day. of stuff, and you think, oh my god, you know, Palace away three yeah, 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 nil yeah. with Sam Allardyce as yeah. their manager. I mean, you just this is a totally different planet that Arsenal are on at the moment, where they can go, totally. they're going into any any away game, and they are serious about winning, and they are serious about not getting beat. It was really not long ago because you go back to last season. Okay, we lost thirteen matches. Last season, over a third of our matches, we lost nine of them away. So, you know, I mean, just, no one could have predicted this turnaround. It's amazing. You say no one could have predicted this. Do you think Mikel not predicted it, but, you know, was very, he's very much a guy with very strong beliefs. Do you think he might have thought that this is exactly what he was working towards and he's maybe not that surprised compared to the rest of us? This is what he's been working towards. This is this is what he envisioned, definitely. But I don't know. Surely, surely it's come quicker, come quicker than he expected based on last season. All right, can I answer that as well? I mean, I mean, Granite Xhaka said, and we will do this once more, that it was fucking unbelievable. Right? <laughs> that is what he said. And I almost asked you at the start, Amy, whether it was actually unbelievable because of what we saw in pre-season and how they hit the ground running and and the, the togetherness. And maybe it's not unbelievable. Maybe he looked at it. He knew that the, the weaker areas of the pitch, he's added to them. We haven't had too many serious injuries. And, I mean, you said to me yourself, I remember having a chat with you when we won the first three games. I can see a path where we win our first mm-hmm. eight. Now, actually, what happened was we lost one of them. But... We look at this team, we haven't seen anything quite like this for quite some time. So maybe not quite as unbelievable as uh, as we all think, Amy. <laughs> I like saying this to you. While we're on the subject of Mikel Arteta, by the way, more wins than any other Arsenal manager from his first 150 games, uh, 87 as opposed to uh, Arsene Wenger and, jo- and George Graham joint second on 82. He's the manager now at Arsenal. Uh, uh, is it true... Adrian, that we're only ever three games away from a crisis or, or he's got a bit of leeway? <laughs> We've got point. a bit of leeway now. <laughs> I would have thought so. I would have thought. I hope so. Um, nah, he's doing a cracking job, isn't he? I mean, to be ahead of Arsene and, and George, it, it's just amazing, really. Um, we've got a, there's a lot more defeats in there. I would I would suggest the discrepancy is on the lack of draws, but uh, winning is what we're in football to do. And he's produced an awful lot of, of victories, hasn't he? So, um, yeah, long may that continue. And today he matched the number of appearances he made for Arsenal as a player. So from here on in, he will have been a manager for Arsenal longer than he was a player for us, which I think is um, is good as well, because I think we remember him as a very solid player. He seemed like he'd been there a fair while. And, and now he's just going to keep going. I 
hopefully he'll be here for many, many more years to come because he, what, he's yeah. built, what he's building here is not a fluke. It's something that he, he has constructed bit by bit to get here. And I think even if we do have problems in, in the years ahead, that what we've got now, the structure we have, is more likely to withstand. Um, it's going to be more robust. And I don't think we would lurch back into a crisis. I think we'd, there'll be wobbles, but crisis f- feels a long way off. It does. And I just want to repeat, I phoned up my son, Alexander, after the game, uh, who said to me, he thinks Man City are the best team in the world. And he said they've got the best striker in the world. And we're currently two points clear of them. So let's enjoy that fact for a while. I'm sure there's no actually no Gooners who aren't enjoying it, <laughs> to be fair. Let's have a song to end. Amy, what song have you got for us? Well, I was thinking of going by uh, uh, a song for Obama Young and something by the Who, but um, <laughs> yeah, in, because of the the uh, Granite Jack a fucking unbelievable thing, I just couldn't get this out and it just popped into my head. So it's not the greatest song, but it works. EMF and unbelievable, yeah, yeah. unbelievable, of course, it's unbelievable. <laughs> it is, uh, yeah, great choice, choice. Uh, Adrian. Very good choice. I like that. I wish I'd picked that. Um, easy, easy is the word I used post-match easy is the word I'm using now it's the Commodores it's easy like Sunday morning morning. it was a pretty easy Sunday Sunday morning slash afternoon we'll take that it was Sunday morning I was in no way ready for the game by the way midday over here in the UK I think the team are flying at the moment. I haven't seen them fly like this. So I'm having uh, Freebird, the Leonard Skinnerd, uh, 11 minutes and 43 seconds rock classic. If you watch the one at the old, on the old Grey Whistle test, go on YouTube. It's eight minutes of guitar solo, but it's well worth a watch. And they are flying, uh, as we've said. So, um, yeah, let's enjoy it. Brighton on Wednesday night. We'll be back uh, the day after. Thanks to Amy Lawrence. Thank you to Adrian Clark. And thanks to Guy, our producer. And thank you, listener. Have a good Sunday. I'm sure you're going to. I'm Ian Stone, and this has been Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Have an unbelievable evening, everyone. (laughs) 